0: Acts chapter 11 verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in, the, in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in an order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and In a trance, I saw a vision, an object descending with a great, like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before me, before the house where I was and having been sent from Caesarea. Then the spirit told me to go with them doub- uh, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said, Send to Joppa and call for Simon Peter, Simon whose surname is Peter, and who will tell you your words by which you and your household will be saved. And I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if therefore God gave them the same gift as he has gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent and glorified God saying, then God has also granted to us, to the Gentiles, repentance to life. Lord, we pray this morning again that you would speak to our hearts. We pray for your Holy Spirit to touch our lives, even as it did in the book of Acts. And we pray, Lord, uh, that you would open our hearts to what you want us to say to us. I thank you for each person here once again in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> have you ever found it difficult to explain something that God told you? Have you ever been in a position where things are changing and there's much contention about it? Confrontation. It's not something any of us like, right? Uh, and none of us are very comfortable with it, but it is a part of life. Change is inevitable. Confrontation takes place. Contentions are part of life, and yet we don't like them. We would just assume avoid them if we can. And I don't know about you guys, but the older I guess, the less, less I want to face confrontation. And, and I get a little more rigid these days. I'm a little more like I don't want to change. I'm, I am the way I am and leave me alone. I'm like Popeye. I am who I am and that's all that I am. And these guys in the back have no idea who Popeye is. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit, right? But we discover a scenario here in the book of Acts where there is change coming and Peter has come back now to Jerusalem and he finds himself in the enviable position of having to explain what happened in Caesarea I'm sure that Peter would just assume have not had to explain this but you know his Jewish brothers had gone before him and news has already traveled to Jerusalem we're not sure how the news traveled in those days very fast they didn't have social media there wasn't Twitter and Facebook, but, there, but it seems as though news travels fast, no matter what vehicle it uses, right? And and you know, especially when it's something controversial. Controversial things tend to travel very quickly, don't they? Did you hear about? And of course, the story gets accentuated and misquoted quite often. But Peter faces this situation, and, and I like the way Peter faces this. He faces it head on. He faces it in a masterful way. He does a masterful job defending the truth and defending what took place without really defending himself. He doesn't really try to explain his position or, or, or his reaction to it all, but just simply lays it out and lets it speak for itself. So there are these concerns and contentions and we see it in verses one through three where they, they come and they say, You, and the key word there is verse three, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? What? They contended with Peter. Their concern was that he ate with the Gentiles. They didn't say anything about the Gentiles being saved. Maybe that was okay with them. Or maybe they thought, Well, I can't be too unspiritual and say, You allow Gentiles to be saved. But they said, Wait a minute you 're a Jew, and you ate with Gentiles. This was a heavy thing and by the way it 's a heavy thing today. A number of years ago, uh, quite many years ago, my daughters came to Jerusalem with us, came to Israel we took a trip to israel and My two teenage daughters were there with another uh, couple of girls and and they had gone into uh, a, a, I think it was mcdonald 's and they picked up some burgers and I think the burgers had cheese on them i don 't know how what the deal was, but they they took these burgers and then they sat down in a in a seat out in the open foyer, open area. But they sat down and they, and they didn't know. And all of a sudden, here comes this Jew, Jewish Jewish fellow out of his shop and he's freaking out on my daughters. And I'm standing there. We're watching. My wife's watching. We're like, why is he yelling at them? And he's going, unkosher, unkosher, unkosher. You know, because they're eating a cheeseburger in front of his place because they don't eat cheese and meat together, right? Contentions. I'm like, hey, 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 it's okay, they'll move, relax, you know? So yeah, come on, girls. They're, they're walking away going, Dad, what just happened? But they don't even know what's going on, you know? And, you know, that's the culture. Eating with a Gentile was a big deal. You know, we live in a town, and our church is located right next to the town called Lakewood, New Jersey. Now, Lakewood, New Jersey is the largest Hasidic Jewish community, Orthodox Jewish community outside of Israel. More people live there that are Jewish Orthodox than Brooklyn, New York. And it's growing all the time. And we have run into this very same thing in that area. In fact, when we've had them come look at our building, because we had our building for sale at one point, they would come in and a, and a, a female realtor would, not, would, would only come in the building, but would not come toward me, would not speak to me, She would, she would just like put her head down and walk around the building. And then they would go to the sanctuary door and they'd go, are there icons in there? Are there any icons in there? And I was like, no, 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 we don't, we're not Catholics. We don't have icons, you know. So they would walk in and we had a menorah in our building and that blew their minds. What are you doing with a menorah? Then I get to share the Lord with them. But it's a very true thing today. Where in, in essence, we found out over the years of living in that area that, that they will only talk to you, the, the, the real strong Orthodox Jewish people will only communicate with you when, if they're doing business with you. Otherwise, it's your, your, we're called goyams now, not Gentiles anymore, we're called goyams. And, and by the way, as the goyim, they're allowed to cheat you. They can't cheat each other. But it's actually okay, like their rabbis would say, oh, you cheated a Goyim, that's okay. It's all right, no problem, you know. (laughs) But you can't cheat each other. You can't cheat your Jewish brother, you know, so very different world. But in their day, eating with a Gentile was a big deal. Because, you know, when they ate in those days, it was very different than today. We have our sanitized eating. Occasionally we do a little differently, but generally we have our fork and our knife. Nobody shares your fork right? Nobody, you don't share a lot of, they did, they'd grab their food with their hands. So, you know, you would take a piece of bread and you'd rip off a piece of bread and you'd dip it into the sop, right? The, the gravy and double dipping was okay. You did that those days. And, and so if you shared with a Gentile eating that way, you were sharing with them. You were joining with a Gentile. That was not kosher. That was not good in their mind. But the thing, Jesus had already begun to break down the barriers before He left this earth and went to heaven. Look at, look with me over at Matthew chapter 15 for a minute, if you can, and just switch over there. And it tells us in verse 10, it says, when Jesus called the multitude to Himself, He said to them, hear and understand. Verse 11, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. You see, they were really into the Levitical laws and what you eat and what you don't eat, what's right to eat, what's not right to eat. And Jesus is saying, well, yeah, but it's not so much what you eat, but it's what comes out. And he goes on to explain, and Peter even says to him, explain this parable to us. So he said, are you still without understanding? Verse 17 did you, did you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach is, in, is eliminated and those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And you know, they had those ceremonial washings they did in those days. You had the Wash in a certain way before you ate your food, and and even then he goes on with more illustration in verse twenty one where he said there was a woman of Canaan who came and she said, "Have mercy on me, O Son of David." She's from Canaan. She's a she's a Gentile, and he, she says, "My daughter's severely demon possessed." And the disciples notice verse twenty three. What the disciples say? This is a ministry of the disciples. Send them away. <laughs> By the way, that's not a good ministry. If that's your ministry, don't don't practice that. Send them away. I mean, there's many times through the text that the Bible says the disciples said this when they're feeding the five thousand. Jesus is saying, you know, he, he says, "You give them something." He, he says, "They they come to Jesus and they say, all these people, we can't feed these people. Send them away, Lord." And he says, "You give them something to eat. You give them." It's like, what are we doing? we got a couple of loaves and a few fish. We know what the Lord did with that. And then he says, verse 24, Jesus even says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered and said, oh, woman, Great is your faith. What a story. Let it be done to you as you desire. Jesus was breaking the mold with the Gentiles before they, before this ever happened in the book of Acts. We know the woman at the well and that story and how that was a Samaritan woman. She's a half-breed. And they were looked down upon as much as Gentiles. And as Jesus is doing this, as we look at this, he's saying it's not what you eat that shows your holiness. And, and this woman's a Gentile. But but and Jesus knew how the Jews treated Gentiles, and verse 26 is the key to that. And yet, the humility this woman showed showed a brokenheartedness that Jesus accepted. And, that, and it's very similar to what Cornelius had toward Peter, if you notice the correlation there. Jesus said she had great faith because she believed through the prejudice from her side. You see, she knew what the Jews thought of her, but she fought through it in a sense. We often talk about how the Jews hated the Gentiles, but what do you think the Gentiles thought of the Jews, right? If somebody hates you, what do you? what's your reaction? Well, you hate me, I'm going to hate you back. But back to back to the book of Acts, we see here where Peter, he defends his actions. He gives the story again. It's the second time we see this in Acts, and God wants you to see clearly what took place. So he has the Holy Spirit through the writer Luke. He has him write this down twice. Get this twice. Peter had a vision. Make sure you understand this and the vision from God. And, and he doesn't tell the whole story, but the key verse here is verse 9 where he says, the voice answered me again from heaven and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this is the thing, guys. It's God's show. What God says is the truth. And God has the, has the freedom to change his mind. And to redirect and do things differently with different times and different groups of people. And that's what he's doing. Because we know that it was unkosher for him to eat these certain foods. And yet God is saying, it's all open now. It has changed. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. There's been victory over the grave. We no longer need these, these Levitical laws that we needed in those days. So praise the Lord we get to eat lobster. It says that he intently observed this. And the men men who he's speaking to, remember, these are spiritual men. So he's speaking to them on a spiritual level. And he's saying, listen, God's the one who did this. And yet they had traditions that were hard for them to break. Tradition is hard to break through, isn't it? And so we see in verses 12 through 15, there was a witness of the Spirit. It says, "Then the Spirit told me to go with these men." Notice that he he has the men show up, and Peter says, "Listen, the Holy Spirit told me to go." It's hard to it's hard to argue with somebody who says the Holy Spirit told me. Isn't that not true? And especially when it's Peter, the Apostle. I mean, he's not. This is no slouch. This is a guy who hung out with Jesus, right? He's a guy who was one of the original gods, one of the big three: Peter, James, and John. So when he says, the Holy Spirit told me to go, well, they can't say much. Doubting nothing. Isn't that interesting? When the Lord really tells you something, you can doubt, you, you, you can make sure, and you can know you don't have any reason to doubt, right? When you're sure it's the Lord. And these other men went with him, he talks about it, and he told us how he had seen an angel st- standing there, this other man, Cornelius, and uh, and how that, that the, the angel had spoken to them. So you see, there's this, there's this witness of the Holy Spirit. Oh, to God that we would have witness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need a powerful falling and a work of the Holy Spirit in these days. Right now, right here, right now, today. And I pray we have it beginning today. I pray for you and for me and for all of us that we have a, an outpouring of the Spirit on our lives. It's interesting to look at that video from 21 years ago. And I sensed an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in those days. And we experienced that. And we experienced a lot of salvation around that. But you know what? That's 21 years ago. We need a fresh one now. We can't base it on 21 years ago. But we also see that Peter not only speaks of the witness of the Spirit, but notice in verse 16, he speaks of the witness of the Word. Look what he says. Then I remembered the Word of the Lord. He said, John, indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus told them to go and wait for the promise of the Father, which you've heard from me. And that promise of the Father was the baptism or the filling or the overflowing or the fresh filling or the infilling or I don't care what you call it. I want you to have it. The Holy Spirit coming upon the church that day in the book of Acts. And he said he would come upon the church so that you could be witnesses of me. Martyrs. The word is martyr. Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that speaks of your local town. It speaks of the outreach. It speaks of the surrounding area of Oregon. It speaks of the United States of America. And it speaks of the whole world. The Holy Spirit has things on his heart that he wants to do throughout this world. And Peter remembers that the Lord said that then that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and that the Holy Spirit came upon these Gentiles. And this is a great way to know, by the way, if the Lord is doing something and, and you, you're being led of the Lord. Does there have, Is there a witness of the Spirit and is it confirmed in the Word? Right? Even in the book of Acts when Peter gave the message and they all were speaking in tongues and, and everybody thought they were drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. You remember that story in the book of Acts chapter 2? Peter said, this is that which was spoken through the prophet Joel that the young men will dream dreams or old men will see visions and so on, or vice versa, whichever it is. I'm not going to look it up. You can look it up. There's your assignment. Uh, <laughs> but you know that, that, that this is taking place and, and the Holy Spirit is falling upon the church and this and it's confirmed in the word and it's confirmed through experience. It's confirmed through the work of the Spirit. Tongues of fire fall upon them. And there are many things done in the name of the Lord at times that, that you just wonder, are they really of the Lord? They're done in the name of the Lord. You know, you have these fellows who stand up at these big crusades, and they say they have the gift of healing. I, I might have said this last week already or a couple weeks ago. I think, you know, you've got the gift of healing. Go to the hospital. What are you running a crusade for? And you're you're bringing people who can really walk in wheelchairs. And you're, and you're standing them up. And they, and they they do all this big dog and pony show. And they run up and down the stage with their, you know, with their suit jackets, and they flip them around, and they knock people on the ground, and then they, you know, they do all these games. That's the Holy Spirit? And then, you know, the world looks at that, and they go, what is that? My friends, my friends, that, my old friends that I used, used to hang out with years ago and drink with and party with, they watch those shows and laugh at them. They used to tell me, oh, yeah, I, you're one of those religious guys. I turn those guys all the time when I'm high. And I laugh. It's a joke to the world. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you the power to live a life for Christ. And what we see in this story is that God is doing a new thing in the church. In fact, there's a, another sort of test that Jesus talked about in the way things happen in a new way. Look at Luke chapter 5 with me uh, for a couple of minutes here. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. And he says here in verse 33... And they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees? But yours eat and drink. They're criticizing Jesus. You're eating and drinking. These guys fasted. They're more holy. How come you're not holy like they're holy? And he said to them, Can you can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? He says, But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. And here's the parable. It's very interesting in connection to this issue of the bridegroom coming and and them fasting in those days. And he's talking about a new work. And here's what he says. No one puts a piece of new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new one takes makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new one does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new. For he says, the old is better. You see, the Jews were being tested as to whether they would like the old cloth or the old wineskin. Or would they be willing to allow new wine to take place? The new work of the Spirit with the Gentiles. Would the Jews accept that? And so we're challenged with some of the same things today. The wineskin would get brittle. This is the, the literal thing is, is in those days, they didn't, have a, they didn't have bottles the way we have today. They had skins. And they would be, when, when they would get old and, and had been used a lot, they would become brittle or crusty. And, and then you'd put new wine and the new wine would start to ferment. And when the new wine would ferment, it would break the old skins and the wine would be no good. It would be spilled. So what good is an old wineskin with new wine? But you need to have new wineskins. And this is really speaking of how people get stuck in tradition. How many of you have seen Fiddle on the Roof? I, I've seen the play. I've seen the movie. Tradition. You know, and, and if I were a rich man, yabba dee ba dabba ba you know, that whole thing. And that was just for you. That was that was was free. That didn't count in the sermon. But it's possible to be like these old wineskins, where you cannot receive even from younger people, for example. You can, and in fact, I'm going to tell you a quick story in my church. Many years ago, my son now is 36 years old. When he was 22 years old, I decided to have him preach his first sermon. And he was clearly an anointed young man. There's no doubt. People say, anyway, so... I said, okay, Mike, you're up. You're going to preach your first sermon. And he preached the sermon, and it was tremendous. And, of course, I'm a proud papa. Okay, I admit it. But I remember walking in the church the next Sunday. I walked into the back of the church, and there was this African-American lady who's really a wonderful lady. And she walks up, and she goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, this is, what, this is Jersey. This is what we do. She, I go, what do you mean? She goes, huh, we got a preacher now. <laughs> And if it had been anybody but my son, I probably would have gotten upset. But since it was my son, I'm like, You're Trey, you know, you're right. We do." But there were these other ladies, older ladies, and uh, all, you know, after that week, I didn't see him in church. And we had a fairly good sized church, so you wouldn't necessarily notice everybody. But these ladies were very talkative and open, and and had been, uh, you know, had been around a lot. And I, there were three of them that came together, and I, I thought, you know. And so after about three weeks, I thought, man, I should call them. Maybe one of them sick. Maybe somebody died. Maybe, I don't know what happened. So I called the one lady who was kind of the ringleader. You know, there's always a ringleader. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there's a ringleader lady. She, I called her, and I, I said, hey, listen, um, I noticed you guys haven't been, haven't been in church the last few weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're not coming back. Uh, oh, okay, all right. Are you okay? Everybody's healthy? And no problems. I said, all right, well. Uh, I'm sorry to hear you're not coming back. Is there is there anything I can do to to, to help you? Is there anything I can pray for you about? And she said, well, we're just not coming back. She's kind of baiting me, wanting me to ask her why. So finally, I, well, what, what's up? You know, well, I can't, I can't receive from a 21-year-old. And I said, well, that's all right, he's 22. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> and she said, if he wasn't your son... He wouldn't be preaching. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you, if I had anyone who's as anointed and blessed as my son, any young man, I would have him preach. And he would be a great blessing. And, he, and she said, well, we just can't handle it. And I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I said, you know, I hope I never get to where I can't receive from a 21-year-old or 22-year-old. See, that's an old wineskin. That's being brittle. That's being rigid, And we need to be very careful with that. And and I'm speaking to C.C. Newberg here, and I see all the gray hairs, (laughs) so don't shoot me afterwards. Uh, I'm just giving you what the Lord gave me. But it's possible for us to become like all wineskins. And we need to be very careful that we don't judge things on the outward all the time. And always be thinking of... Well, I don't like this style, or I don't like this music, or I don't like this. Or I, listen, I've just gone through a transition in my church two years ago. I turned my church over to my son, and it was a challenge. It was a big challenge. You guys know Bill Holdridge. Bill Holdridge discipled me through that challenge, and Bill Holdridge told me in the early stages of that, when we were first starting, he said, well, get ready, because you're going to get challenged. And I'm like, oh, no. My son will do exactly, he'll do the same things I did. And he's like, no, he won't. So all of a sudden, the music started getting a lot louder to the point where the decibel level, I was like, but I had been discipled by Bill, and he told me to tell the congregation, like, I'm old like you. Come along with me. <laughs> and we'll we'll experience this together. And we'll all sit in the back of the church and, and get away from the loud sounds. <laughs> and you know, it's been a, a challenging transition, but I got to tell you something. It's been the greatest thing in the world for that, for our church Cornerstone. It was Cornerstone Calvary Chapel. He even changed the name. He made it Cornerstone Church. How dare he? But I've had to grow through that. I've had to step back and realize God's called him to be pastor now and him to have the vision. And yeah, he, and, and by the way, I'm still on the board. I still go to the church. He still asks my opinion about lots of things. And we're still in, we have great relationship, but I've had to take a step back and realize I'm I'm not going to, I'm not the one that's going to reach the 25-year-olds. And we've had this influx of young people coming into the church. One young fellow walked into the foyer one day and he goes, I'm looking for the new young pastor. And I said, what do you mean? That's me. And of course he laughed in my face. (laughs) You're not young. Well i try to be. I think of Chuck Smith and the story of Calvary Chapel. And most of you know that. If you don't, you can read about it and look it up and check it out. But I, I, I think of how, you know, Chuck was kind of rigid at one point, And it was through his wife that he began to open his heart and open the door to the hippies who would just come over and hang around his house and eat his food. And and then, and then they started preaching the gospel on the streets. And some of them were really wacky. And if you know the real story of Calvary Chapel, it's wacky. There's some wacky stuff. But God did something. And Chuck had to be flexible. And so did others. There had to be a, a freedom. Remember, remember the famous story about Chuck where they had carpet on the floor. And, and one of the elders of the church put up a sign. And it said... No bare feet, because they had put new carpet down. And Chuck walked in, and he said, what's this? And he picked up those signs, and he told that elder, you're not an elder anymore. Because if you can't have a heart to know that these kids need to come in here, and that's what they do. They don't wear shoes. So what? I remember in the early part of our church, a kid came in wearing a baseball cap sideways. This older fellow comes up to me. He goes, you're going to let him do that in the church? I said, Do what? Wear that baseball cap. That's disrespectful. I said, you know what? I'd rather he would be disrespectful in church than disrespectful out of church. At least he's here. And hopefully he'll hear the word and get saved and God will change his life. And then wear his baseball cap right. No. Because <laughs> you can't be saved wearing a baseball cap sideways. You know that, right? <laughs> Sorry, my Jersey sarcasm is overflowing now a little bit. But what does God want to do today? What does God want to do to reach... Newburg, Oregon, and the surrounding towns. And will you be soft? Will you be flexible? You know, we had a saying in the Calvary days years ago, it said, Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And and, and that's really important. When God is doing a fresh work of the spirit. Now, I'm not talking about compromising, guys. I'm not talking about, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, and I, I was talking about newness and letting God do a fresh work. And, and and I wouldn't go so far as to, like, some churches, they'll they'll have secular music in church. You know, so they'll use a, a, a song, a secular song to, as a hook. I, I wouldn't do that. I don't think that's wise. But there are ways to reach people and there, there needs to be an openness and a freedom to say, you know what? I'll, 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 I'll put aside my own personal choices and desires. And for me, in my church, it's been the music. I mean, I love I love the music we had for all the years. My son led the worship and now they have a different team and it's a different style of music and it's not my thing sometimes. But I don't gripe and complain about it. And there were some in the church that were griping and complaining. And I became the guy and went to him and said, and rebuked him and said, you know what, you guys need to, you need to worship the Lord yourselves. Put aside your own personal tastes and not talk about this because it's not good. It's not edifying. See, we need to, we need to be a people who are talking about edifying things. And Jesus was talking about these wineskins and he's talking about the need to be flexible and Peter was flexible. Look what he says in verse 17 of Acts, back to Acts 11. He says, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand the Lord? I don't ever want to be the one who's going against the Lord, do you? When God wants to do something fresh and new, do you want to be the person who's saying, no, I don't want that? No, let's be willing to let God do something new. It's a great question. In a sense, who do we think we are to fight against God and what he wants to do? What if God would call C.C. Newberg to a new direction? A new place, a new building, a new who knows? Would you go along? Would you be willing to put aside your personal feelings? Because this is a beautiful little building, is it not? It's a quaint place, it's very historic. But what if the Lord said, I want you to meet in a I don't know, someplace not as nice. <laughs> Listen, I'm not sure what all this means, and I'm not here to dictate to you what the changes should should be. I know this, John, and if people ask me, how's John doing? And he's doing, he's doing well. I've had conversations with him this week, and he's, he's feeling stronger all the time, and they're identifying various problems he's got to deal with. But, but I would say, you know, he's on, the, he's on the upswing. So praise the Lord for that and for your pastor. But I've been talking with him and I, and and, and he tells me he's a new man. Now, I don't know what that means yet. He's got a new stint. I know that. <laughs> but more than that, he, he said there's something that's taken place in his spirit in this experience of what he's gone through. And, 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 and so he's a new man. And, and so he's gotten in his heart to see new things go forward. I don't know what all that means. And I'm not here to, to define that change. But I'm calling you and I, as these had to be called, to be flexible. To let God do something new. Cause imagine the hard prejudice they had. And they had to accept it, and they do. Look at the results in verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God. These guys are godly men. You know, we're talking probably John, James, the head of the Jerusalem churches there at this point, and, and other leaders in, the, in, the, in Jerusalem. He says, then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance in life. They're rejoicing in this. They listened to Peter. They listened to his defense. His defense quieted them down. And to their credit, they glorified God. How was Peter able to convince them? Why was it that God was able to use Peter to convince them? Well, let me tell you a couple of things I observe about Peter's life. Peter was a man of prayer. So anything and any change and anything you go through, it needs to be bathed in prayer. And Peter, this was founded in prayer. Remember, he was on the rooftop praying when he fell into a trance. So he was seeking the Lord in prayer. Secondly, he was a man who was open to vision. And we need to be the same. And he was a man who was obedient. When the Lord told him to go with these fellows, he didn't argue with the Lord. The only argument he gave to the Lord was, not so, Lord, when he said, rise, Peter, kill me. Not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything. Well, that was the argument. That ended real quick, right? But he was obedient. And here's the final one and the most really important one when it comes to this text. He was a man who was bold to speak the truth in love. He was bold to speak the truth in love. And, and, and in all honesty, I feel that that's what the Lord had me do with you today. To speak the truth to you in love. That, that there's a danger in any of us as we get older of becoming rigid, becoming old wineskins. And we need to be open to what the Spirit wants to do. Now, I'm not talking about being open to wackiness. I'm talking about being open to what the Holy Spirit has on his heart to do for this generation today. And he has a heart for this generation. Praise the Lord for you, young fellas. And may the Lord empower you. May the Lord fill you. May the Lord touch you so that you can be the church today and, and, and reach the world, reach your culture, reach your generation for Jesus Christ. May we have a, you know, there's a movie coming out. Greg Laurie put together a movie called The Jesus Revolution. It's all in the life of Chuck Smith and the whole movement of, uh, of Calvary Chapel. It's going to be fabulous. It's coming out very soon. And, uh, and may you guys have a new Jesus revolution. You need it. This world needs it. Amen. So Listen. In conclusion, application today, contentions and confrontation are part of life, but God has a purpose in them. We need to be willing to to, to speak the truth in love. And it helps to be clear, help, helps us to be clear on what he's doing when we get these confrontations. Confrontation many times clears things up. How many times have you had a miscommunication with somebody and you you're holding a grudge or you got something going on? And then also when you talk, you're like, Man, I don't know why I was doing that. I just didn't understand. But look for that vision to take place, a new vision. When God works, he'll leave an imprint on what he does. And it will be a witness of the Spirit and a witness of the Word to confirm what God's doing. And if you defend your position, be like Peter. Speak the truth in love. It's the best course of action. And when he spoke the truth, he allowed them the space to see it and hear it and accept the truth. They were learning to be flexible. Blessed are the flexible. By the way, that's my message title. Blessed are the flexible. It wasn't easy for them. But God was doing a new thing, and he wants to do the same today. He has wine that he wants to pour out in this world, on this church, in this neighborhood, in Newburgh, in Oregon. He's got new wine. Make sure you've got a flexible skin. I want the new wine. 66 years old, and I want new wine. I want to stay flexible. We need the Spirit to fall afresh upon us. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit to move. So I'm going to ask you today. First of all, when the Holy Spirit came, in John chapter 20, Jesus breathed on the disciples and the Holy Spirit came into them and they were born again. But there's another experience in the Holy Spirit that took place after that. Isn't that true? And he told them, even at that point, in Luke, he tells them, wait for the promise of the Father, which you've heard from me. And they go to Jerusalem and they're waiting. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus again speaks to them and he says, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now, he tells them. And when he he tells them that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and they they say, "Is it this this time you'll restore Jerusalem? And, And he says, no, he'll come upon you so you'll be witnesses of me. And the coming upon of the Spirit is that empowerment of the Spirit. There's three experiences with the Holy Spirit. There's the coming within, there's the coming alongside, excuse me, that the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Then there's the coming within, which is when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes in your life. And then there is the coming upon of the Holy Spirit, which is to give you power to be a witness to live for Christ. And then there are also, in Ephesians, Paul talks about the the be-being filled with the Spirit, which is, you know, really, it's a sense that you, you you need refills. Don't you love it when you go to a restaurant and you get free refills? The Holy Spirit gives free refills. And so, you know, whether you've you've not ever been baptized or empowered with or coming upon the Spirit, that's a thing to do. That's a thing to open your heart to. But then there's also the refilling of the Spirit. And I would say every one of us every day, I need a refill. You know why? D.L. Moody was asked that question years ago. A woman went to him and said, Mr. Moody, why do you always ask for a fresh filling of the Spirit? He looked at her and he said, Dear woman, I leak. Anybody leaking at all? We all leak. We need fresh filling. We need overfilling. Remember, Jesus talked about the Spirit in the sense that he said it was like torrents of living water, like a river of living water. And John said, This spake he of the Spirit who had not yet been given. We need that overflow in our life, right? So I'm going to ask you, do you want it? And so we're going to know the song. And as we go to this song, you know, just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. If you've never been filled with the Spirit, just say, Holy Spirit, fill me. People say, well, is there some kind of ritual we need to go to? No. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. And the wording there is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Then he gives that little illustration about the eggs and the, 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 the egg and the rock and the bread. You know that little story. And is he going to give it? Are going to chew on a rock, kid, and kind of thing? He, he gives that, and, and then he says, this was about the Holy Spirit. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He wants to give you his Spirit. And when you have the Spirit flowing through you, you have an ability to live for Christ and to be a witness for Christ. And you're not too old or too young. And the Holy Spirit has an incredible way of softening old wineskins and making them pliable and usable in God's hands. Amen? So bow your heads with me. And we're going to have a song. And as we go to this song, I would just encourage you to just let the Spirit of God just fill you fresh. And I'm going to sing another song. And as I do, I'm going to ask you to make it a prayer of your heart. Spirit
1: of the living God Fall afresh on me Spirit On me, help me, mold me, fill me, use me, Spirit of the Living God,
0: fall afresh on me. Sing that again, and just. Lift your hands and your heart before the Lord and just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, whether it's brand new, the first time in your life, or whether it's afresh that the Holy Spirit would fill you and do what He wants to do in you and through you. Sing it again. Spirit of the living
1: God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living on me, melt me, mold me, use me, oh fill me, Spirit of the living God, fall
0: afresh on me. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to you. We open our hearts to the work of your Holy Spirit in our life. We yield to you in every way. And Lord, we know it's not so much how much we have of the Holy Spirit. We have all the Holy Spirit when we're saved. But how much do you have of us, Lord? Are you controlling our lives? Are you leading our lives? So, Lord, we desire to see that. So, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you fill us afresh? Would you make us in? to the people you want us to be, in the precious and wonderful name of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.